I welcome each of you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. A special day today as we will prepare for the baptism after um, the time in a word as we celebrate uh, with a couple. It is a beautiful day today. The sun is shining. I don't know what has happened over the last couple weeks. I mean, it has been a apocalyptic cold. I thought um, Armageddon, it's, it's cold, it's windy, it's rain and floods. I have never confessed more sin in my entire life than over these past couple weeks. And today the sun is shining and the sky is blue and we are together in the house of the Lord and we rejoice in that. I need help this morning. And my help comes from the Lord. And so I would ask that you would bow your heads as we pray together and that all of us would receive help as you listen. And Lord willing, I speak only his words this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you. I thank you for your grace you have bestowed lavishly pouring it out on us today. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you've given to each one of us to gather and to meet like this. Lord, I think this morning of the Schaefer family, Craig and and Shelly and the kids. Lord, as they were used and are being used by you to, to birth a neat little body of believers to know, Lord, that they can't, they can't even worship together for fear, Lord, of being attacked again. Father, I, I just thank you for all that you have given to us, and we especially thank you for these few moments that we have together this morning in your presence, together with one another, Lord, willing to be encouraged to prepare our hearts, Lord, for that time that, that inevitably will come where all of us will be meeting you. Father, I, I thank you for your sovereign rule and reign. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word that is living and breathing, that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray, Lord, that you would be with um, these dear people that have gathered and everyone that is listening to this message, that you would open ears to hear and eyes to see, and that your spirit would minister amongst us and stir our hearts to follow you. Lord, I personally just ask for guidance and help and strength as I seek to speak for your glory and for yours alone. We ask this now in the strong and wonderful and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen. We have been looking at this idea uh, the past couple weeks of of pressing on, pressing on for the prize. Straining forward, and we know it's cold and dark, and February is like a really depressing month, and we talk about straining and, and pressing, and people are like, this is really hard. We know it's hard, and God's Word tells us it's going to be hard, but we know also that He has given to us a helper. 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be with us. And we know that as we strain towards that prize, that there is great joy. Today, and I love, I love as a very practical person, I love that in our text this morning, it teaches us specifically, very simply and very clearly, how to press forward to achieve this prize. Like, how do we do this really, like real time every day? Busy people, busy world. How do we do this? This instruction is practical, and I'm thankful for it. It teaches us how we press forward for the prize that God has called us to. Philippians chapter 3. Let me direct your attention to verse 17. I'll read down through verse 21 as our preaching portion this morning. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. The word of the Lord. We know that today to have and to live with a single commitment, to live any one of our lives with a single focus, to live specifically for Christ and to press on continually for the prize of Christ, we have to be honest, it's really not that popular today. The idea of living with a single focus doesn't sell very well in the culture and context that we are called to live and minister in, even if you are to enter the doors of many churches. The idea of being focused on Christ in a single way, even in a church context, is often, it's it's non-existent. Why? Because oftentimes even churches have this idea that it's all about you. It's all about me. There's this idea that if you want to live the life of a Christian, then then at some level, there's got to be something in it for you. If you want to be a Christian, you're going to be happy with your life. You're going to be a Christian, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be satisfied, you're going to be successful in life. If you're going to be a Christian, then then you're going to have wisdom and, 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 and be wealthy. Sometimes I hear people say that I just, I just need to come to church just, just one more week just to give me enough to, to make it through the next week. People, that's not my job. Sorry. My job is not to give you enough to just make it through another week. My job, according to the authority of the Word of God, is to prepare you for eternity. To prepare you for the moments that we all will one day stand before the Lord. 
to prepare you, not to live in this life, but to prepare you for the life to come. Now, in reality, in reality, we must remember that Jesus taught very, very clearly in his entire earthly ministry, if anyone wishes to follow me, if you really want to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Thankfully, we have been given in the pages of Scripture an example in the life of the Apostle Paul who's someone who has done this. It has been, it has been, he has lived what? In, in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. And we have that example before us. And I rejoice that we have the privilege and the opportunity to learn from a man like the Apostle Paul. He, he is changed. His, his motion and movement, his freedom has been restricted all because of the sake of the gospel. How do we do this? Like how, how, do we, how, do we, how do we live like this? How do we press on? Three things I want to give you this morning. Very practical. We're practical people. Let's cut the like fluff and let's cut the, 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 the unnecessary. And let's, let's just hone in specifically how to do that. Paul gives us three ways the Holy Spirit speaks to us this morning. The first one is this. I want you this morning, if we are to pursue that prize, to live for our calling as followers of Jesus, I want you to look specifically for examples of Christ. Look around you for examples. Actually, Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me. And, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. He, he begins by basically saying, I want you to do two things. Number one, watch me. Number two, I want you to watch others. Watch me join in imitating me. Watch others. Watch those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Literally, this word imitate, simimetis, it means copying the actions of another person. Remember, Paul doesn't just say this here to the Philippians. As a matter of fact, five years earlier, as he wrote the book, uh, the first letter to the church at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul makes this statement, follow me as I follow Christ. Is he being egotistical? Who's this guy think he is? No, he's actually being Christological. He's actually pointing people to Christ as he seeks to live for Christ, like Christ. We are instructed to do exactly the same thing in our lives today. If we're to pursue the prize that is set before us. We are to follow those who follow Christ. Copy the actions of those people that you and I have been blessed to know. Copy the actions of those who are copying the actions of Christ. Model those who model Christ. To live well in this world, to live like Christ, we need to learn from the lessons of others. Now, how do we learn? And we teach children this. You learn by watching. You learn by listening. You, you, you learn by, by looking out. Oh, so that's how, how, it, how it happens. That's, that's what it looks like. I personally can step back and examine the course of my life, and I have been blessed. I've had nothing to do with it. 
by God's grace alone, of the people that have been, been placed in front of my view, my vantage point. And I am so thankful for the examples of good and godly people that the Lord in His grace has given to me, even since a child's. I know many of you can't, can't say that. It wasn't your choice to be born into a home where maybe you suffered abuse or neglect. So we hear about Jesus being what? Our Savior who loves us. We hear about God, our Heavenly Father. And, and you recoil at the idea of a father. My father yelled at me, or my father was a drunk, or my father beat me. I'm thankful that... I had a godly father and today have still a godly father and mother who taught me what it means to trust Jesus. And they modeled this idea that, that trusting Jesus means what our, our faith has got to be put into action at some way. And I was raised with this modeling and understanding from my parents who for some reason, I love my parents, but they were kind of forgiving. I tell them this, they were kind of clueless when it came to the whole parenting idea. They, had, they got married young, had kids young, and so they, they talk about the fact that they kind of grew up with us. I grew up in the days before GPS, and I think a lot of us have. Younger people I know. So the days before GPS, when you would drive somewhere, for some reason, particularly as a family, we were always lost. Like, we were always lost. I mean, there were maps, but they were crumbled up in the back seat. And so for some reason, as a family, and <clears throat> we're seeking to, to be obedient, and we're seeking to serve Jesus in any way we can, I found that we're, we're always like, do we turn left here or turn right? We have no idea. So we would just kind of like drive into nowhere until we would realize, you know what? We are completely confused. You know what my parents would do? They'd pull the car over to the side of the road and they would pray. That was like, that was the GPS system back then. God, we are like completely lost. We got four little hungry kids in the back. We are completely confused. We don't know what to do next. And we would pull the car over. It was the first response. And it was normal and natural for us to sit together at a table and a problem of the family would arise or one of us struggling and we would stop as a family. Let's just pray about this right here. Let's put our forks down, put our knives down, and we're just going to pray. Faith was put into action. Stay up late at night as a family and talk and, and, and what you end up in prayer together. Invite friends over to our home. And as we listen to them, well, we don't know what to do. We're confused and lost ourselves. But let's pray about it. And it always happened. And I have sought and we have sought as a family to model that to our children. We're clueless with what happens tomorrow. Our GPS system is that we're going to get on our knees and we're going to say, Lord, please direct us and guide us. And it's that faith in Jesus that has brought us into action. Think of other people that God has allowed for me to, to see. And I, I, want to, I want to learn to encourage people. Like, like Casey encourages. Little Casey Sim, who attends our church here. And almost every single Sunday, Casey will come running up to me. And she is an artist. And so she, she will draw pictures for me. It wasn't that long ago. And I actually have one of these for you that she drew me a beautiful picture of the of the Grinch and Max 
and there's Cindy Lou Who. And, 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 and then the next picture that she gave me bring, kind of brings the whole story into perspective because she said, this is Jesus. So, like, there's the Grinch, and then there's Jesus. And I just want to give you this picture. And I told Casey, I, I appreciate the fact that she comes running up to me and she gives me a hug or she gives me a picture. And then she gave me another picture just last Sunday, that, and I got this one. And I thought, this is a picture of me. <clears throat> And this is a picture of Jesus. And this is a picture of the Bible that, in all honesty, I want to stay, I want to stay focused on Jesus. And I want to stay focused on the Bible. And I want to learn to encourage people in my life like Casey encourages me. And I can learn from little ones. I'm blessed. I am blessed by an Uncle Eddie who comes, or an Eric who says, I just want to take you to lunch. I I want to see how you're doing. I want to see how you're doing today. And it's a ministry of encouragement. I've been surrounded by people. I want to learn more personal disciplines in my life. How do you, how do you get up earlier? How do you stay in the Word? I spend time with the, with the Zane Padalev and the Drew Talbots and the Jay Gaunt, who are men of discipline. And they model this for me. And I want to follow their example as they follow Christ. I made a list here. I want to be able to be more passionate in my prayer life. Listen to Akatya pray as she just connects with the Lord. I want to pray like that. Clara Savage, Clara Putnam, dear older women who I've known in years past. And I'd listen to them pray. And they connected with the Lord. They prayed scripture as we're learning as a church. I want to learn to pray like that. I follow examples that God has graciously placed in front of me. Do you realize that God has placed people in front of your life as well? And Paul says, I want you to look for them, find them. I want to be able to share the gospel more readily. How do they make the connection? Watch a Bill Stankiewicz throughout our community. A Tara Newman, a Jen Braun. For some reason, the conversations, they always get to the gospel. They've been gifted this way. How do we learn to do that? We listen to them and we watch them and we learn from them. That's how we keep our eyes on the prize. That's how we do this. I want to have more mercy. I want to have more empathy. I want to show more compassion in my life. In my life, I don't always have that. Listen and spend time with an angel in Trumbull who weeps with those who weep. She's gifted in that way. And I want that. Spend time with one another. I want to be a better student of the Word. I want to be a better preacher of the Gospel of Jesus. Oh, how I want that. Dr. Pelton taught me, Dr. Lyon. I still listen to him preach. God, give me the ability. Help me to become a better student of the Word of God. Realize that every single one of us, as we are called to pursue a prize, the prize of the high calling, this is not going to be easy, but God hasn't left us alone. He's given to us a helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit steers us and directs us to be in relationship with one another. No, people, if you choose, if you choose to isolate yourself on an island, separate yourself from the good and godly people that God has blessed here, then it will be a long and a lonely journey for you. Mark my words. Mark my words. Look for examples 
of Christ. Number two, what else are we supposed to do here? Very practically, love your enemies like Christ. Paul says this, For many of whom I have often told you, underline this, now even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul acknowledges something here, very clear, a fact that you and I need to be reminded of this morning. If you choose to be a committed follower of Jesus, then Paul is saying this, you better be ready, don't be shocked or surprised that you're going to be surrounded by others who do not want to follow Jesus. You live in this world, you're in the world, not of the world, but you're going to be in the world. Don't be shocked or surprised as a follower of Jesus that you're going to be surrounded by people who don't want to follow Jesus. And they're not just ones who are just indifferent. There's a lot of people who are just complacent, apathetic, I really don't care, unconcerned, uncaring. Certainly many of them distracted with the noise of this world. But in addition to that, Paul says there's actually those who are going to be adversarial or antagonistic to the work of the gospel to the passionate interest that you have as a follower of Jesus, there will be ones that surround you that will not see that, that are against the cause. They're they're, they're referred here in this phrase. They are referred to as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, in this case, it's not only enemies in practice, attacking, burning the churches and the houses of missionaries that we just heard about this morning, we're praying for, But it's actually enemies of what? Those who are false teachers promoting a false doctrine. Most likely in this context, as Paul is writing to the Philippians, they're Judaizers, they're they're individuals who are saying that in order to, 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 to have salvation, it's not just a faith in Christ, but you must adhere to works of Old Testament law. So it's faith and works in order for salvation. Paul calls it what it is here. He calls them what they actually are, enemies of the cross. This is not a stretch. Jesus taught Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21. All recorded what? And you will be hated. Missio. A disdain for. A a hatred towards. An aversion You will be hated, Jesus says, by all for my name's sake. James chapter 4 verse 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Know what that an enemy of the gospel is very clearly described here. You have to know what that one is. We know ultimately the enemy is Satan himself, but he uses individuals to accomplish his work. And there's a description here in verse 19, four-part description. It says that their end is destruction, their end. The word is telos. The ultimate destiny is what? Is eternal torment, is eternal punishment. You have to know what's in store for them if they continue to reject. Their God is their belly. Like their belly, really? Like they're worshiping their belly? It's actually a metaphor, a word picture that speaks of their appetite for that which is unrestrained, sensual, fleshly desires. They just gorge themselves on whatever they want. 
Paul says, watch out for these people. It says that they will glory in their shame. It speaks to the fact that they'll actually boast in the very fact that they are against Christ. This is the most extreme form of, of wickedness. I was hearing a gospel with a man recently. He told me it better be a, a comfortable, red, soft, velvet chair in hell waiting for me. He's boasting of this. And I said, sorry, it's not like that. There's no, there's no red velvet chair waiting for you. Oh, for me, there is. And they boast in that. Paul describes that's what the enemies of the cross are like. It says their minds are set on earthly things. This is being entirely focused or fixated on the temporal things of this world. Oh, how easy it is for us to be entirely focused and fixated on the fleeting temporal things of this world. Paul says that they're real. And he describes them. But as I was working my way down through this text, it was this next phrase that, that, that rocked me. It rattled the cage of my soul and convicted me to the core my preparation, as Paul writes this, he says, even with tears. Paul is, 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 is weeping. Not only for the Philippians who are being misled through bad teaching, bad theology, bad doctrine, false teachers. Paul certainly is weeping for his beloved Philippians, but he's also clearly weeping for the enemies themselves. For the lost souls who are living in complete rebellion and rejection to the cross of Christ. Paul is weeping for the soldier that is chained to his wrist. He's weeping for the Roman emperor who put him in those chains. Because he knows the condition of their own soul. I thought about my own life. And the ones that I know that are described like this, those that would be considered enemies of the cross of Christ, who work against. Have I shed tears in my prayers for them? Sadly, sadly, there's something deep inside of me that says, well, they'll get what they deserve. You spit on the cross. You curse the Christ died for me, you'll get what you deserve. I confess to you, that's the wrong attitude on my part. It's the wrong attitude on your part if you do that. Rather, we are to be in tears weeping for those who are lost. This is modeled by us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself who taught us in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And Jesus comes and he literally rocks the foundation of all of thinking in that world and in this world today. Jesus says what? I say to you, forget what you've heard, forget what you've seen. Jesus Christ himself, God incarnate in the flesh says, I say to you, you love your enemies. And then he puts action. Pray for those who persecute you. We do not, we do not receive an email from Craig and Shelley Schaefer speaking about the hardships and heartaches and the pain of 
they have described, that they have suffered, we never receive an email from them without saying, and continue to pray for those people that are burning their houses down. Continue to pray for them. That's what we need to do. And we examine that. Is that is that our response? Shedding tears? Shedding tears over the dangers of, of loved ones who are being misled by false teachers? Have you wept much? Is your pillowcase soaked? Weeping over the plight of lost sinners, loving the enemy. Usually what? Something says, someone says something nasty, and, and we're going to just type it here. We're going to say nasty back. Oh, that's just, oh, that is just so wrong. That is so wrong. Christ gives me the ability to love you. I'm going to pray for you. Christ gives me the ability to love you because he is loving Love me when I am most unlovable. People, if we are, we are commissioned to share the greatest gift ever. We are commissioned and called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, we better make sure that it is wrapped up in the prettiest, best packaging of goodness and kindness and love, sincere love. For other people. Number three, and finally, what? Look for examples of Christ. Love your enemies like Christ. Long, long for eternity with Christ. I'm so thankful for this word. But, 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 our citizenship is in heaven. And we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the author who speaks of this citizenship in heaven. He speaks about the fact that, that Christians, ones who are following Christ, live like Christ, actually direct our attention not on our citizenship here, but our citizenship that awaits us in heaven for all of eternity. It's interesting, this term is used only here in the New Testament. I think it's intentionally used because it directs people to think about their earthly citizenship. The Philippians, what, were, were Roman citizens. And a Roman citizen, that, that, that meant something, that had some weight. And I thought, you know what, we, many of us, what, born in this country, are American citizens, perhaps immigrate here, are now American citizens. And that means something. We've traveled throughout the world, knowing that at any moment, what, there's an embassy that is a safe place, a sanctuary for us. And, and, and there are great privileges. But understand that being a Roman citizen for the Philippians, being an American citizen today, the privileges that we have and the freedoms that we enjoy, the graces, common graces, that we enjoy pale. Like tiny, tiny, tiny in comparison to being a citizen of heaven. So Paul is saying this, do not, do not get too comfortable here. I love the way that he describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He refers to this, this term, and I've used it before. Paul calls us tenters. He says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. 
a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. How, how long are you supposed to live in a tent? Not very long. You, like, you, you camp in it for a day or two in complete misery before you head to your home. The Apostle Peter challenges us. He says, Beloved, I, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh. The author of Hebrews expands, commends our forefathers and expands on this idea. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. All kinds of of descriptions. We're just traveling through. We're just tenters. We're only here temporarily. Do you, do, you see, do you see why we are called to wait? The New American Standard uh, translates to eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To eagerly wait. Wendy's traveling this week. She's with the kids out in Kansas and... And, and she's coming home, thankfully. I ran the dishwasher and I put a load of laundry in. The place is still disastrous. But it's, it's, not, really, it's not really for that reason. But I can't wait till she returns home. Flights are never on time in a state college on a Tuesday night. But please, Lord, please make this flight on time. I eagerly await her. Why? Because I want to be with her. It's the idea that we eagerly awaits. Why? Because our Savior, it says specifically, will transform our lower body. Or another translation says, transform our humble body to be like His glorious body. This whole text concludes with the simple reminder of the consequences of our earthly condition and the results of our fallen nature that our physical bodies, these tents, that we are tenting and sojourning in this life. As James chapter 4, verse 14 says what? Are but a vapor. That this, this body, this physical body that we have is but a mist. Which means what? You can, you can pretty it up as much as you want. Put all the goo on your face and all the makeup on your face. You can exercise and eat the blueberries and eat the kale and you should do that and all the power foods. You can spend money on yourself. But let me, let me, let me assure you of this. This tent will not last. 78 point, I used to say 78.8 years. Even with all of the science, all of the technology, our life Average life expectancy as Americans has just dropped to 78.7 years. Sorry. 78.7 years on average. The statistics on death are rather impressive. One out of one people die. Did you encourage this morning? Yeah. Why? Because what? You and I know already, some of us who are over a certain um, number of decades on this earth, we are quickly being reminded and aware of the truth that this, this tent is already wearing down. I heard myself sleeping the other day. I woke up. I didn't do anything. I woke up sore. It's breaking down and it's wearing down. 
However, there is what? There is a great hope since we know that everything, everything and everyone are subject to Christ. We are encouraged and this morning we are reminded that he will transform metakamatio. It means literally to change the outward form of. It says that he will transform us to be like his glorious body. What, 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 what exactly does that mean? Well, just as Jesus literally, physically was miraculously resurrected from the dead, which means what? His body at one time had been broken and torn and ripped to shreds. He's buried in that tomb. And yet God, in a miraculous way, what transformed and gave him a brand new body, just like we have waiting for us. My dear sister in the Lord reminded me recently, the things of this earth are temporal. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. And thank you, my sister, for that reminder. That's what we have in store for us. That we will be conformed to His image when we put our faith and our trust and we keep our eyes on the prize. 1 Corinthians 15 describes this resurrection. Like, how does it happen? Like, I don't get this. I don't get this. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are in heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. He compares the first Adam to the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he miraculously what allows us to bear his own image in a glorious, glorious way. That's what it means. People, it's, it's not, it's, sorry, sorry, it's not about you this morning. It's not about you being fueled up just to get through one more hard week. No, sorry. It's about preparing all of us for eternal glory. And so be encouraged. Be encouraged regardless of the challenges of keeping your eyes and pressing forward, straining for the prize. Be encouraged close with this in Revelation 21. It describes, it describes, it describes what awaits us. You put your faith in the full and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to follow Him as Lord. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And some of you who are aching and who are hurting, Emotionally and physically, will be spiritually dried up. That when our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, He promises He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying. 
nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. May you be encouraged today with what God has in store for you. Matt, come and close us. We prepare for our demonstration through the obedience of baptism for what it means to be buried to self and to walk in the newness of life.